Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid, such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. From the podcast team at Qalam, we wanted to wish you a very blessed Ramadan. This month, you can expect daily uploads that will include reflections, khatiras, and khutbas, all from our new campus, Alhamdulillah. If you benefit from this content, please give generously at supportqalam.com. 100% of your donations goes towards the means of providing accessible Islamic knowledge to people around the world. Jazakumullah khairan for listening. Alhamdulillah, I want to welcome everyone um, back for the program that we've had here for the last 10 nights of the month of Ramadan. And today is obviously the conclusion of that program. Alhamdulillah. Um, so we've been, ha- oh, for the entirety of the last 10 nights, we've had this series of discussions that we've had every single night titled Forgiven in which we look at the stories of repentance, the stories of forgiveness, the stories of redemption, mainly from the time of the Prophet ﷺ and the lives of the companions, Ridwanullahi ta'ala alayhim ajma'een, may Allah be pleased with them. So, inshallah tonight, you know, like I said before, obviously, it's the last night of the month of Ramadan. Of course, we do have one more day of fasting. Uh, but as we open our fast uh, tomorrow, that will essentially conclude uh, the month of Ramadan. And so on this last night of the month of Ramadan, it's another valuable opportunity for us to be able to connect to Allah, to engage in the remembrance of Allah, to come closer to Allah, and to be, asked, and to be able to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness. And so um, inshallah tonight... Uh, we're going to be talking about the repentance of the Ansar. The forgiveness of the Ansar, the repentance of the Ansar. And so... So, this mic's a little bit easier to talk into. So, 
in the life of the Prophet wasallam, I'm going to kind of zoom out and give you kind of an overview of the life of the Prophet wasallam. He receives revelation at the age of 40, he passes away at the age of 63. So that means that the era of prophethood is 23 years. Out of those 23 years, the first 13 years are called the Meccan period. That is when Muslims were a minority and the Prophet ﷺ lived in Mecca and they were preaching and calling to Islam in Mecca for 13 years and they were an oppressed, embattled, tormented, persecuted minority. And things were rough to say the least. Then you have the Hijrah to Medina, the Medinan migration. They move to Medina, they, they have a place to call their own, a city to call their own. They establish the masjid in which they can freely worship. But there's still a lot of struggle. So the first seven years, six years of that Medinan period are similarly a period of struggle. They are constantly under attack. They are constantly under assault. Um, Medina is being sieged and attacked. And they're constantly dealing with, you know, the enemy at the gates, so to speak. It's a very difficult situation. Then after the sixth year, things start to open up a little bit. For the first year, the seventh year, there's peace. Then in the eighth year, there's victory. Right? So Mecca comes into the fold of Islam, which is huge. Right? Mecca is the center of Arabia. And it now comes into the fold of Islam. So that means Islam officially now has the Arabian Peninsula fully in control. So that's a very big deal. The Kaaba, Masjid al-Haram, is in Mecca. Now that is in the fold of Islam. So now even the religion has been established properly. So that Salah and Tawaf, Hajj and Umrah, like all of that can now happen properly. So this is a time of, kind of, this is the time of victory. And not only that, but then what happens? Some enemies gather outside of Mecca, the Bedouin tribes, because they are a significant power at that time. They gather there, wanting to fight the Muslims. So the Muslim army goes out of Mecca, meets this Bedouin army, this Bedouin force, from the tribes of Hawazin in the valley of, in the valley of Hunayn. And the Muslims achieve of another decisive victory. Now, it really establishes the fact that, that Islam is just now taking over. Alhamdulillah. Then the people of Ta'if, the city of Ta'if, was a part of that group that tried to fight the Muslims. So the Muslims go after the people of Ta'if, and they have a huge fortress, Qila'ah. They have a huge fortress in Ta'if. And they raise up the gates, you know, they perch the archers on the wall and they just lock themselves in. So the Muslims go and they lay siege to Ta'if for a whole week. 
the Taif people are able to withstand the siege. So ultimately the Prophet ﷺ says, it's okay, they will come to us. And they leave Taif, but they're able to essentially recover a lot of the property, a lot of the wealth, a lot of the resources, a lot of the assets as what we call spoils of war. To the victor go the spoils. Alright? So now they've had essentially three victories in a row. Major victories. Mecca, Hunayn, Ta'if. And there's all this, you know, recovery of wealth. Because remember, they were kicked out of their homes. They were persecuted. They were tortured. They were massacred. They were tormented. They were hunted for 20 years. And that's the balance that Islam provides is that now that they're achieving victory, they do collect al-ghana'im, the spoils of war. Because that's the, the, the system of balance and justice and fairness that Allah has instituted. So they have all the spoils of war. They're going back to Mecca. The Prophet ﷺ says, now that we have all the conflict out of the way, I want to do Umrah. Because when they came to Mecca for the conquest of Mecca, they thought there might be a battle, so they didn't do Umrah. So the Prophet ﷺ says, I want to do Umrah now. Now there's no fight, there's no battle, there's no threat, there's no danger. I want to do Umrah. I want to do the, 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 the mini pilgrimage. So they say, okay, the place where you put the ihram on when you're coming from the ta'if side, the miqat, the place where you got to be in ihram, is called ji'irrana. Ji'irrana, it's a valley called ji'irrana. So they stop there at ji'irrana, but the Prophet ﷺ says, I want to get rid of all this, all, this, uh, all, all the, the goods that we are carrying all the materials that we recovered in the spoils of war, I want to distribute it, I want to dispose of it, I don't want to have to worry about it. When I go into ihram to do umrah, like when you see people going for hajj and umrah in the white you know, garments and the white towels, right? When I go for umrah, I don't want to think about anything else. I don't want to worry about anything else. So let's go ahead and distribute the spoils of war. So they start distributing everything. Now, a fifth of everything that was collected, أَنَّ لِلَّهِ خُمُسَهُ وَلِلْرَسُولِ A fifth, 20% of whatever is collected, the Qur'an says, that, that is at the discretion of the, of the state. That is at the discretion of the government, the state. Okay? The state, the government, the head of state, the authority at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, is the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. He's the Prophet of God. He receives revelation. So he is the authority. So the Prophet ﷺ, Allah has said 20%, a fifth, he gets to distribute however he sees fit. So the Prophet ﷺ, now I'm going to explain this. It's not complicated, but it's a little technical, so please... Follow and pay attention. The Prophet ﷺ is based in Medina. Okay? Mecca is like 250 miles away. It's far away. Especially in those days, right? You got to travel on foot. So it takes a week 
to go from Makkah to Medina. So the Prophet is in Medina. The, all the Sahaba, the major senior companions are in Medina. But Makkah has entered Islam now. So 250 miles away, we have the territory of the Muslims. The Prophet says, I need people here that I can trust. I need people here that are reliable, that are dependable. I can trust them, I don't have to worry about them. So, in accordance with the custom of the time, and the custom of the people, and the custom of the region, you gift-giving was a very regular practice in that culture. And the Prophet affirmed that culture. He said, Tahado tahabu. Tahado tahabu. You give gifts to one another and it creates love in each other's hearts. It creates appreciation for one another. So, the Prophet ﷺ takes that 20% that is at his discretion. He calls a lot of the Meccan leaders, some of who have recently entered into the fold of Islam, and he gives them gifts. And part of the gift giving is for the purpose of getting to know them better, building a personal relationship with them, that listen, you are my friend now. So here, I want you to have this as a gesture of my brotherhood, my friendship. So now the person kind of softens up a little bit. And then the Prophet puts his arm around the shoulder and says, look, I'm going to need to rely upon you and depend upon you. That when we're back in Medina, you got to hold the fort down in Mecca. Right? We can't have trouble in Mecca anymore. So that was the wisdom and the strategy of the Prophet ﷺ, and it was the correct strategy, and it was profoundly wise, very sage of the Prophet ﷺ to do this. Okay? So that's what's going on. And while this is going on, Ustad Abdurrahman is now going to tell us that while the Prophet ﷺ is doing all this, worrying about bigger problems, like how do we keep the peace in the Ummah, how do we maintain all of Arabia? How do we protect the sanctity of Mecca? While the Prophet is worrying about all of this and doing all of this, something else is happening, you know, kind of on the side. And so, Ustad will tell us, inshallah. So, the, um, the nature of the relationship that the Prophet had with the people in Mecca, especially those who were new Muslims, is one of a very delicate nature. It was extremely delicate, very fragile. Not because the Prophet ﷺ was concerned about the integrity of their belief, but because we know from an Islamic standpoint that belief, it functions in an ecosystem. And if the ecosystem, if the environment is not strong enough to maintain the organism, then the organism will die, right? And so the Prophet ﷺ was concerned, like Sheikh was saying, about just the ability to hang on to this Islam. So by giving gifts, by including in the spoils of war, these brand new people that had not shown even a fraction of the loyalty of some of the seasoned Muslims, without understanding the wisdom that Sheikh mentioned, and without understanding the, the foresight that the Prophet ﷺ had as a leader, some of the Ansar made a mistake. Some of them. 
And that is, they said this statement. And when I translate it, I think it's going to make everyone uncomfortable, which it should. They say, فَقَالُوا This is some, not all. يَغْفِرُ اللَّهُ لِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ May Allah forgive the Messenger of Allah. So everyone should feel a little uncomfortable. <laughs> like you read it, you're like, is that a typo? Yeah. Literally, you're like, that's got to be a typo. Why? He's giving to the Quraysh and he's leaving us high and dry. Right? SubhanAllah. And our swords, this is an expression, are fresh with the drops of their blood. Meaning what? Like, we've been the ones here from day one. We were the ones that were accepted and, and honorably took in the Prophet And we were the ones that, again, I'm not speaking, I'm not advocating for them, I'm communicating the erroneous argument. We were the ones that were here. We were the ones that fought in the battle. We're the ones who lost our family. We're the ones who lost our friends. So much so that my sword, the sword, right, we just fought with them. And this guy just said his shahada 30 minutes ago and he's getting 10 camels. And I'm walking away with, seemingly, nothing. And so there was a... There was a contingency, a small contingency from the Ansar that said this, okay? They didn't just think it, they what? They said it, they uttered it. So then what happens? Anas bin Malik radiallahu anhu, he hears this, okay? Now he's not a snitch, but this is a serious problem. It's a serious problem because every major fitna starts with Originally starts with feelings and then eventually grows to words. And then words become actions and actions become big issues. So Anas, he hears this, and this is the narration from Sahih Muslim. He says to the Prophet Sallallahu or He goes to the Prophet Sallallahu and he tells him this. So the Prophet Sallallahu He sends a message to them and he says, I need to meet with everybody. So he gathers them He gathers them in a leather, like a canopy made of leather, like a small little tent. He squeezes everybody under one roof. And he asks them, he asks this question, he says, Is it true what I'm hearing? <laughs> like, what's the statement that reached me from you? He, he's, we'll talk about this after, inshallah, but I want you to, this is wisdom, man. What is it that I heard that you guys were saying? He didn't come in guns blazing, right? He didn't come in with, with, with accusations, even though there's no reason for him to doubt Ennis, right? The report of Ennis, of course not. But he says, what am I hearing from you guys? <laughs> right away, the wise people from the Ansar, okay, those people it describes... Uh, who have foresight and they have age, basically the elders, they said, Ya Rasulullah, فَلَمْ يَقُولُوا شَيْئًا وَأَمَّا أُنَاسٌ مِنَّا حَدِيثَهُ or حَدِيثَةٌ أَسْنَانُهُمْ قَالُوا يَغْفِرُ اللَّهَ يَغْفِرُ اللَّهُ لِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ So they said, Ya Rasulullah, this wasn't from us, these were from the people who have lower years, they're immature, 
right? And they're, they're, they're unwise. They're the ones who said, They're the ones who said that. So the elders speak up because they don't want what? They don't want to get, they don't want to get this mix. They're like, it was the young'uns. Which when you hear that explanation, things start to make sense. Right? Because a lot of the mistakes that we make tawbah for happened in our youth. Or happen in our youth. I see a lot of young guys smiling. Don't smile. That's like being like guilty. Right? <laughs> yeah. Don't smile. Just understand. As you get older, regret becomes a more familiar feeling. And that's okay. It's not a bad thing, but that's okay. But it becomes a more... If you're getting older and you have no regrets, then that means you have a lot to regret. <laughs> All right? May Allah allow us to see that. So they said that the young people said this. The young people said this. Now, there's a couple differences from the narrations. Uh, in the one in Bukhari, the Prophet Sallallahu he, he kind of dis, he kind of explains his hurt. He opens up emotionally. And he talks to the entire group, but he's speaking specifically, obviously, to those people from who, who said this statement, he says, Oh, oh you people of Ansar. Ya ma'ashul Ansar, alim ajidkum dhulalan fahadakum Allahu bi. Did I not find you that you were misguided and Allah Ta'ala allowed you to be guided through me? He said, Did I not find that you were divided into groups? Kuntum mutafarqina. That you were people who were killing each other. Literally, there's a story about tribes from the Ansar that were killing each other because one tribe's camel drank from the trough of another tribe's water. Like they started killing each other because of that was the catalyst. I mean, this was the ignorance that they were steeped in. The Prophet ﷺ, when he met them, they came to him during Hajj. They had heard, of course, about the message of the Qur'an, but they were actually very interested in his arbitration ability. They were curious. We heard that you can solve this problem between us. We have these, these warring tribal issues. Can you solve? If you can, then we will unite under you. So he says, he's bringing this up. And this is very out of character for the Prophet ﷺ. Meaning it's not wrong, but it's not something you would see often. He doesn't bring up things he did for people in the past. But he says, did, you not, did I not find you like that? فَأَلَّفَكُمَ اللَّهُ bi." Allah Ta'ala, He joined you together and He united your hearts by my presence in your community. And then He says, you were poor. You were destitute as a community. Yathrib was a place of pollution, of sickness. Nobody wanted to go to Yathrib. When the, when the Muhajireen first came to Yathrib, they were, including Abu Bakr and Bilal and others, they were writing poetry like love letters to Mecca. I want you to understand this. They were writing poetry about how much they missed the city that they were being tortured in. Because this, the, the homesickness, of course, was there, right? The emotional homesickness. And then you had the actual physical sickness. They just didn't want to be there. So Medina, when you talk about Medina now, Medina is the place that everybody wants to go. May Allah invite us. Right, to Medina and Mecca allow us to be there, inshallah, over and over again. Never, never ever taken off that list. So you go there and you're like, man, Medina is beautiful. Medina became beautiful because the Prophet ﷺ went there. Before then, it was not a hot spot. Can I say it? Denton. 
right? Just wasn't, wasn't happening. So he said, I came here and you were, you were destitute, right? Agricultural city, not a lot of business. You had nothing. Nobody wanted to come here. No one was spending time here. It was a dirty place. And then Allah Ta'ala enriched you and enriched the community and gave you sustenance through, through my relationship with you. Then the Prophet ﷺ, he continued, and this is when the Ansar started to, their eyes started to shed tears. Because they realized not only the, that the words that they had said were very damaging for their faith, but they also hurt the feelings of the Prophet ﷺ. And this is something that Allah Ta'ala, he says about the Prophet ﷺ, that I think everybody... You know, last night of Ramadan, last night, technically tonight. One thing that I want to share that I, I didn't mention yesterday, because I couldn't, was the Prophet ﷺ deeply felt the pain and the confusion and the frustration of every believer. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Azizun alayhi ma'anittum, that it is grievous and very heavy upon him the things that afflict you, those things that hurt you, that bring you difficulty, it is difficult for the Prophet ﷺ to process that believers will have to go through those things. So when you think about your relationship with the Prophet ﷺ, it's easy to think about your relationship with the Prophet ﷺ as being one-sided. Because you think, well, I'm currently alive in the dunya, and the Prophet ﷺ, according to this state that we're all in, is not alive in the dunya. But... I want you to know something. The Prophet ﷺ had so much emotional intelligence, so much foresight, spiritual connectedness, that he ﷺ felt your pain before you were even here. How can you explain somebody spending every night that they prayed Qiyamul Layl, uttering, according to his wife Aisha, anha, who was sleeping next to him as he prayed, the, the word ummati, ummati, over and over again. How could you explain that? How could you explain this man, والسلام, being given prophecies about the future of his ummah? And when hearing about things, starting to cry because he knows that it's not going to be easy. The fitna that was to come. The difficulty that they were have to inherit and endure. The challenges, the oppression the, the feasting, as he said, of the enemies of the community around us because of our weakness. In the Qur'an, the Prophet ﷺ, one time he asked his companion to read Qur'an to him, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, and he read from Surah An-Nisa, and he read all the way until the ayah on Surah An-Nisa, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَكَيْفَ إِذَا جِئْنَا مِنْ كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ the Prophet ﷺ said, stop. And Abdullah said, just kind of looked up. And he said, I saw his eyes were like flowing with tears. What does that verse mean? The verse translates as, How will it be, O Muhammad, when we call on the Day of Judgment, every nation 
will have a witness standing against them and you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we are going to bring you you are going to have to stand in front of the entire Muslim ummah and you are going to have to answer the question, did you deliver the message or not? And if the answer is yes, then all the mistakes we make, all the negligence we have, all the choices that we know we shouldn't make that we did, it's going to be on us, not him. He cried because every person who loves somebody doesn't want to get them in trouble. You just don't. The Prophet ﷺ shed tears because he knows on that day, truth is the only option for him. He has to be honest. Ya Allah, I did deliver the message. And any mistake or negligence that, was, that came from the heart or the action of this person, it's not on me, Ya Allah. But this messenger will still use the only dua he was given that was absolutely accepted, the one prayer that every prophet was given, he saved it for the Day of Judgment because he knew that that was when we would need it. So now that we've talked about who he is, understand now what the Ansar were feeling. They lived with him. They felt his generosity. They felt his mercy. They felt everything. We feel one-sided, but we're not. If anything, it's more one-sided the other way. We're the beneficiaries of his du'as. We're the beneficiaries of his patience, of his hard work. We sit here able to connect with this book because he, salam, cried, bled, fought, laughed, worked, didn't sleep. But Ramadan for us is a month of being exhausted. Everyone asks, how are you? I'm tired. The Prophet's life was a life of being exhausted. Constant exhaustion because of what he had to do. So the Ansar started to feel this. And as a result, they started to cry. And they responded back to the Prophet ﷺ. They said, Ya Rasulullah, you came to us. You came to us and we were in this state. You came to us and we were in this state. So then the Prophet ﷺ, he asked a question. And I want to give this question to everybody here because the, just again, the flow and the understanding of this question is so powerful. He asks them, he said, are you pleased? Are you satisfied? Knowing that these people are going, to be go, are going to go away. They're going to leave this valley, this gathering, this meeting of, of distributing spoils. And they might have They're going to walk away with some animals, sheep and camels. Is that really what you want? They're going to get to leave with that. Then he says, You get to leave with me. You get to leave with me. And in another narration, he says what? Or in the same narration, I get to come home with you. They get a couple animals. They can sell it. They can flip it. Whatever. It's their choice. Slaughter and eat it, milk it, sell it, whatever they want. You get to come home with me. I get to go to your house. And then he says, not only do you get me, but I would choose you. He said that if I had to make the migration, if it weren't for the fact that I had to make the migration, lawla, if it weren't for the fact that the migration happened, that I was born in Mecca, then he says what? Lakuntu amran min al-ansar. I would have been ansari. I would have preferred to have been ansari. If I didn't have to migrate, I would have rather been ansari. And he said that what? 
And if you were to ask, if people were to ask any, any group of people whether I would rather go through a valley, an easy place, or a mountain pass, very difficult, traverse the ups and downs, but the mountain pass was with you, I would choose the mountain pass. Easy valleys, it is what it is. If it's not with the Ansar, I don't want to be a part of it. And then he gives them advice. Oh, and then he beautifully he says, Al-Ansaru shi'arun wa nasu dithaarun. Shi'ar is the, clo- the cloth garment that you wear under everything else. Al-Ditharu is the one that is over. Like the jacket is dithar. The undershirt, right? the, cl- the stuff that touches your skin. He says, you the Ansar, you, we touch. Right? We're like skin to skin. Like we are buddies. Everyone else to me is just an overgarment. They don't get close. And he says, إِنَّكُمْ سَتَلْقَوْنَ بَعْدِي أَثَرَةً فَاصْبِرُوا حَتَّى تَلْقَوْنِ عَلَى الْحَوْضِ Allah, he says, you are going to see signs that people will have certain favor over you. You're going to process it that way. Yeah, you're going to see times that you're going to see and feel as if you will have been passed over. And other people were given certain benefits more than you. But he said, I tell you to be patient. When? Until when? Wait until the Day of Judgment. Wait until that time when you're going to meet me at the Hawd. And one of the narrations says that at this moment, there was not a dry eye in the house. Everyone's crying. Everyone's bawling. Even those people that didn't make the comment, may Allah forgive the Messenger of Allah, even those, they were bawling. Everyone's crying. Why? Because they realized that they took for granted the most valuable person in their life. The story has a lot of lessons, and it's already 1246. So I'll just share one, and then I'll let Sheikh wrap it up, because I know this is, I mean, Sira is his, this is jam, right? MashaAllah. The thing that gets me the most about this, and there's a lot, there's two things I'll share. Number one, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. Again, Sheikh mentioned earlier in the series that part of the adab of these stories is that in the narrations that are teaching about the sunnah, not the history, but the etiquette, they leave the people anonymous. Out of respect, because again, these people have a very difficult task, which is they have to live with the Prophet ﷺ, which means that they will be historically preserved. So there are some moments that, like this that happen, and you know the, the gossip king and queen in us is like, I wonder who it was. Right? Spill the tea, right? But the, the scholars of hadith are like, we're not going to spill that tea. Because would you like your mistakes to be preserved for thousands of years for billions of people to read in a gathering? Right? What if the person's name was, I don't know, Dhul Qarnain or something? I don't know. I'm trying to figure Shahriar, right? Yeah. Zishan. There we go, right? Sorry, Zishan. I don't know if anyone of you here. What if the person's name was Altamash, right? Like, I don't know. I'm trying to come up with like an obscure name. That Sahabi's name was some name. No one would name their, person, their, their, their kid that name. That's the one who said that about the Prophet Uh-uh. Right? You'd meet him on the Day of Judgment, you're like, wow. But you'd only say that because 
you weren't in that position where your deeds are preserved. So everyone makes mistakes. These people were the best of generations. I mean, literally what they gave for the Prophet but the, their hu- I, what I like to say about the Sahaba is their humanness showed. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes we think of them as like above being human. It, they had these moments. Their humanness showed. Okay? Much more frequently, our humanness shows. When they have those moments, we are like, wow, are you serious? Yeah, it happens. But despite that happening, the Prophet, وسلم, he comes. And out of character, again, not part of his MO, he lays it on heavy. And he reminds them of the things that they have benefited from, which is, I'm sorry to say it, our generation, and I'm including myself in this, hates when people do this to us. We hate it. Because we feel as though, don't remind me, don't remind me, right? That entitlement, that nef just shows up out of nowhere. You know, if you, if you talk to somebody and they've done a lot for you and they tell you, like your parents tell you, like, I've done so much for you, you're like, this is toxic. This is abuse. No, it's not. C- could it be? Yes. Parents, this is not a license, okay? I don't need you to write a manifesto and pin it to your kids. Understand that reminding somebody the benefit that they have received, that they're the beneficiary in this relationship is not abuse, is not toxic. It can be. Of course, everything can be. But sometimes it's needed. Every day, probably not. Probably would lose its effect anyways. But when it gets really serious, sometimes you need to get hit in the face with the, are you serious right now? Prophet Sosim comes with this. And then he tells them the final command, which is what? The frustration you're feeling, I can't promise you it's going to be solved in this life. In fact, he's basically saying it won't be. I can't promise you that you're going to be the ones getting cows and sheep and camels and whatever you want. That's, if that's what you signed up for, then you're probably going to be disappointed a lot. Now, he knows that's not what they signed up for. But he tells them, your reward is much greater. And that statement for us, I mean, you have to, you have to, your reward that you will get is much greater than what you want. That statement is something that we have to live by until we die. You're never going to get the deserving reward of what you've done in this life. Don't expect it. If you expect it, get ready for disappointment. That's not how Allah works. You pray Fajr and then you expect something by Dhuhr, you're going to be sad. This is not transactional relationship. This is Iman. The Prophet says, if you want to live a life of gratitude, if you want to live a life of thankfulness, the opposite of the entitlement that the nafs is calling us to, be patient. Be patient and get ready. You're going to have a few years of difficulties. You're going to have some good times and some bad times. But I promise you it will all be worth it. When? When you see the day the Prophet is waiting for you at the gate of paradise with a smile on his face, with cold water in his hands. And he says, come on in. I know that sounds very far away. But what does Allah say? Allah says, وَأُزْلِفَتِ الْجَنَّةُ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ 
غير بعيد هذا ما توعدون لكل أواب حفيظ من خشي الرحمن بالغيب وجاء بقلب منيب On that day, it won't be far away anymore. Those people who did tawbah, they will be entered into it. The ones who constantly came back to Allah, they will be the ones who will be entered into that paradise. So I hope and pray that Allah Ta'ala makes us amongst them and that we have our Ramadan expectations set, that we make some goals and promise ourselves spiritually that we're not going to be transactional with Allah, but we're going to be committed to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Shaykh, if I could ask you to take us home. So, so Ustad was talking about how understanding you know, what the relationship is predicated on is important and a necessity at times. What's really fascinating is that in the more extended narration by Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu um, that's found in the seerah of Ibn Hisham, the companion having the conversation with the Prophet ﷺ is Sa'ad bin Ubadah. And in that particular narration, he says that after the Prophet ﷺ posed, you know, that's the series of essentially rhetorical questions to them, where the Prophet ﷺ said, Alam atikum dullalan fahadakum allahu, wa'alatan fa'agnakum allahu, wa'adaan fa'allaf allahu bayna qulubikum. Did I not come to y'all when y'all were lost and then God guided you, meaning through me, and that you were destitute, you were suffering and struggling and Allah provided you with, you know, some relief and reprieve from your circumstances through me and that you were at each other's throats and Allah joined you together once again through me. But that then, and they said, of course, Bala, Allahu Rasulullah wa Afdal. Of course, Allah and His Messenger are most kind and generous. But then it goes a step further. Where it says, ansar. He said, Are you not going to answer me? So they said, Rasulullah. How can we answer you? We, we admit God and His Messenger وسلم, have done more for us than we can even comprehend. But then the Prophet says, He said, you want to know something interesting? If you wanted, if you wanted, you could have also said, and if you would have said this, you would have been t- saying the truth, and I would have confirmed that you were telling the truth. That y'all could have also said to me, That Ya Rasulullah, when you came to us, you had been rejected by everyone, but we accepted you. When you came to us, you had been defeated. And we helped you. You had been exiled. And we took you in. And 
and that you had no one, no supporters, and we gave you support, and we gave you shelter, and we helped you and aided you. And the Prophet, so this is so powerful where the Prophet is saying that I have also benefited from this relationship. You have that to your credit. But that doesn't mean that then this, you know, this um, tension or this incident or this issue that has come up here today about who's getting gifts and whatnot, that doesn't mean that it's okay because the Prophet is saying that you definitely should have known better. And that's what he said. That you now found yourself being enticed by a few worldly scraps that I was just giving to these people to try to draw them closer. And then he continued on by saying what Ustad shared that Allah made me a blessing in your life, but Allah also made you a blessing in my life. And that's why our relationship is built on and predicated on much bigger things. We're not worrying here about these little things. I also wanted to just kind of share a little tidbit because it's fascinating historically that the Prophet said, Oh Ansar, you will find yourself getting passed up. You will find yourself getting overlooked. You will find yourself getting left behind. Right? That's very interesting. But... And, and then what happens? Because in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, the Ansar were always a majority, right? In the Battle of Badr, there were 313 companions. 70 of them were Muhajirun, the rest were all Ansar. But then after the passing of the Prophet ﷺ, as Islam spread and more and more people came into Medina, the Ansar started getting outnumbered even in Medina itself. They were being outnumbered. And they continued to become more and more and more of a minority. Even in their own city. And eventually, Medina came under like a huge drought. And there, was, there were no resources in Medina. And people were really struggling in Medina. And that's why there's an interesting kind of tidbit that some of the um, main kind of extended families that live in Al-Quds today actually migrated to there almost 1400 years ago and in their ancestry they're originally Ansar. Because what ended up happening was life in Medina became very difficult and challenging. Where there was a forced kind of migration, not they were being forced out, but they had no choice but to migrate and they came out once Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu received the keys of Masjid Aqsa and Al-Quds and Bayt Al-Maqdis, that many Ansari families, huge Ansari families, they moved out here because Bilad al-Sham, right, Palestine, Barakna Hawlahu, it was such, you know, kind of blessed and plentiful land with food and vegetation and water and everything, that they ended up moving out there. So the Prophet ﷺ prophesized this fact that you will have struggles ahead of you. But you can never forget, 
right that the honor that you have been given that you have that has been bestowed upon you and that's why to me one of the most fascinating moments in the seerah of the prophet that also is like very like we kind of gloss over it so we don't always pick up on it a few months literally a few months before the prophet passed away he went for hajj it's called hajjat al-wida the farewell pilgrimage very famous right the khutbah and everything the day hajj finished the last day of hajj is the 13th of dhul-hijjah so on the morning of the 13th of dhul-hijjah what we know as like three days after eid right the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as is done on the 13th of dhul-hijjah he threw the the stones the pebbles at the three pillars the jamarat and then he went to makkah and he did a tawaf which is called tawaf al wida mashallah right it's called tawaf al wida the minute he finished tawaf al wida he prayed two rakaz he drank zamzam he walked out of the haram put his bags on the camel and left to medina he didn't even stay an extra half a day in makkah this is the city where he was born this is the city of his ancestry this is the the city where he lived the first 53 years of his life this is the city in which he was first married this is the city in which he buried his wife he buried his uncle he buried two of his sons who died in infancy he has so much history here He knows every street, he knows every corner. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in a hadith of Sahih Muslim says, "Inni la arifu hajaran." I even can identify the boulders in Makkah. Like I recognize them. 53 years. So, he this city and then it has the Kaaba. It has Al-Masjid Al-Haram, Baitullah. Safa and Marwa. Zamzam, Al-Hajr Al-Aswad. All of this is here and the day he finishes Hajj that same day in the afternoon he's on his way home. Isn't that fascinating? And what we understand about that why was he in such a hurry to leave Mecca? He wasn't in a hurry to leave Mecca. He was in a hurry to get back to Medina. And why was he in such a hurry to get back to Medina? He was in a hurry to get back to Medina because he had a promise to keep. I will always come back home to you. Y'all are my family. This is my home. And the Prophet ﷺ rests today, till today in Medina. And on the day of resurrection, he will rise in Medina. And he will be with the people of Medina. So, this is the promise of the Prophet ﷺ. But, as Ustad explained very beautifully that the tawbah of the ansar that there was a lapse in judgment nobody's perfect but the important thing as we've been talking about throughout this series over the last 10 nights and overall throughout the month of Ramadan and in general within the different classes and halaqas and programs at heart work or in tafsir or on Wednesdays or in the Friday khutbahs etc right 
This is a constant theme that we're always touching upon and we're talking about, that we're going to make mistakes. We're not perfect creatures. You know, perfection um, was not demanded of us, nor was it embedded within us. However, we need to always find a way to go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Tubu ilallahi nasuha. Be sincere, be honest, always go back to Allah. And the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, Asa rabbukum an yukaffira ankum sayyiatikum وَيُدْخِلَكُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِيَ الْأَنْهَارِ That as long as you go back to Allah, then Allah says, عَسَى رَبُّكُمْ أَنْ يُكَفِّرَ عَنْكُمْ That indeed your Lord will remove all of your sins. Your deed will remove, Allah will remove all of your sins. He will clear all of those bad deeds, all of those mistakes, all of those shortcomings from your book of deeds, from your record. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will enter you into the gardens of paradise. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard. Um, You know, um, just as a final kind of note, um, we do have to fast tomorrow, so please don't forget to do that. All right, because there's been so much talk, right? Like uh, since Maghrib, it's like today's the last tarawih, right? And it's like the last khatra ever. And now it's like the last qiyamul layl, the the qiyam program that we're having. I don't want somebody to kind of be like, we're done, Ramadan's done. No, you have to fast one more day, okay? Please remember. Um, yeah, and exactly, and remember that that means that. You know, until Maghrib time tomorrow, however many hours that that uh, means that we have in front of us, you know, um, we, we have that many more hours of the month of Ramadan remaining, where the gates of paradise are open, and the du'as are being answered, and the angels are saying, I mean to every du'a that you make, and Allah is, you know, uh, ask, Allah is, you know, uh, uh, having this announcement made, that does anyone want to be forgiven so I can forgive you? So we still got however many hours we have till Maghrib time, till 8 p.m. inshallah, um, to take advantage of that opportunity. So please, please, you know, avail that opportunity. Do not miss on that, you know, and, and don't, you know, let that slip away. Uh, Usad mentioned a very specific opportunity, and that is that the dua at the time of the dua at the time of the breaking of the fast, right? That the Prophet ﷺ talked about. That is the time of istijaba. That is the time of the acceptance of prayers. Uh, so remember to really take advantage of that opportunity tomorrow. Inshallah, bidnillah.